0: I'm
1: the the one. I'm Patrick Bedevi, host of Valuetainment. The one thing you need to know is the painting behind me every time I do these interviews. In the middle of the painting, you'll see two books that are being debated between these eight different personalities. One is Atlas Shrugged. The other one is Communist Fan Manifesto. Today, I decided to bring the modern-day communist philosopher Slavoj Žižek, who trashes capitalism. But I got to tell you, we actually had a very good time uh, having a banter going back and forth debating capitalism against communism. Slavoj, thank you for being a guest on Valuetainment.
0: I'm grateful for your kind invitation. Thank you. Because, you know, although I am some very strange type of communist, but as my more moderate right-wing right wing friend, uh, Tyler Cowen, wonderfully described me, I'm a moderately conservative communist. <laughs> that is yeah, to say a say a very I, am not, kind of I am not an idiot. I'm not dreaming about a new Stalinist Central Committee and so on and so on. The 20th century is over. Did you notice what's the lesson of China and so on? If anything, communists who survived are mostly very efficient managers of today's capitalism. We live in a very weird time. And and why do you say that? Uh, because... Uh, uh, because of, because of China, the name of the miracle is China. One should not overestimate China. When some, many people say today, but look, they did deal with, with the uh, uh, pandemic successfully. Okay, they screwed it up at the beginning. Later, in a very brutal way, they controlled it. But you know, aren't the two true miracles parts of China which don't want to be parts of China? They are the true silent miracle. Taiwan and Hong Kong they dealt with pandemic in a model way, no signs of second wave, life returning to normal, and so on and so on and that's our we can talk about it more later. This is uh, why I think now we are in a eminently political problem i don't agree with those who claim now. It's not time for politics, we are under threat, all of us, so let's just uh, trust the state to resolve this problem. No, we all know that things will not return to the old normal the way we remember it. And if I may jump, you should correct me a little bit. Isn't this the saddest thing for me? That's what makes me depressed at everyday life. Many people have written about problems of mourning, melancholy, how to mourn all the dead, and so on, and so on. But isn't there another mourning also at work? We are already beginning to mourn a way of life where you simply you know, walk around, communicate, and so on, and so on. It is becoming clear. And I'm not celebrating this. That's what makes me very sad and depressed. That again, as now all know, things will not simply return to normality, that this will just uh, dissipate, disappear, pandemics as a bad dream. I think this is the beginning of a new period. Well, some form of distances of social control and so on and so on will be necessary so you know what makes me infinitely sad how to distract myself stupid movies that i'm watching like or the old tv series like will and grace or the british tv series about that provincial autistic doctor doc martin and so on and so on it makes me sad to think that this is already a way of life which is at least for the time being, lost. You know, lost in the sense that, no, it's not lost. All the objects are there. Restaurants are there. Cars are there. Public transport is there. But it doesn't function. It's a terrible situation, which is why I want to emphasize this. It's not only the health costs, how many people will die or suffer terribly. Because, you know, we should, wouldn't you agree, Get rid of many illusions here. Even if you survive the COVID infection, it's not simply that that you are reconstructed back at your health. There are some traces on your lungs, you get weaker and so on. But what about other things? Everybody knows this. I'm not saying anything original. First, all the other things that are neglected, all the other illnesses and so on, cancers and so on, Second thing, even your president, Trump, had to admit it. What happens with food production and distribution if too many people get infected? I mean, things have to function, and that's my idea of, I use this word with all provocation and ironically, why I use the word mostly to provoke communism. It simply means, and I'm not original here, governments de facto admit it, Bill Gates admitted it, the situation is too serious to leave the solution to the market. Here, public authorities should step in and simply prioritize certain things. First, health. healthcare, should be not only universal, but even global. All Russian, not, okay, I'm not a utopian, not globally in the sense that we will have a, I don't know, a worldwide ministry of but in the sense of coordination. I mean, it's an illusion that we will have safe bubbles, like now New Zealand and Australia, while uh, hundreds of thousands will die in another world. Uh, uh, Virus is moving up and down, so healthcare, absolute uh, priority. Second priority food distribution, how to not only produce it, how to give it to the people. Third thing, these basic elementaries of our daily life, which means electricity, water, sewage, trash disposal, and, of course, let's not forget the smooth functioning of phone and especially digital space, Internet. These should be absolutely prioritized. I, so, I got a question for you. I got a question. Got a question. Yeah, so, please, let's go, back. To me. Let's go yeah. back. Let's go back a little bit. Slavoj,
1: yeah. when when did you buy into the philosophy of communism? How old were you?
0: No, ha 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 ha. Now comes the surprise. I didn't. When I was young and finished my studies in nineteen seventies and early nineteen eighties, I was a kind of a dissident. I was five years unemployed. For being non Marxist, I was very critical of communism. Uh, even in China, they don't accept me today because I think that China should precisely not be the model of us. Look, all liberal leftists in the 20th century hated in existing social order two things A, unbridled, brutal capitalist competition, and B, strong authoritarian state. Isn't the secret of the success of China that it precisely combines these two things? I think that China is one of the offers we get referring to Robert Checkley's story uh, in, in the store of the world. It's one solution offered to us. And my point is it can be done. Here I refer, they will not like this, what I will say now in China, look at South Korea, Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong. They did it, but without this full authoritarian functioning of the state. Because Chinese model is, for me, too much based on, to cut a long story short, on not trusting the people. People should be controlled. While I'm not idealizing Taiwan, no, Taiwan is part of China and so on. But these territories... I don't want to offend Chinese, they are part of China in some sense. These territories dealt better because nonetheless there was considerable trust between the population and the government. So I am here very critical of the 20th century Communism. I think that the 20th century communism was at a certain level, yeah, industrialization, success, and so on, but basically it was a great ethical, political fiasco. Just think of the purges and so on, all that happened. So I'm not in that sense a uh, communist. I'm only communist in the sense that I think that the problems that we are approaching now, ecological problems, and I think that uh, the ongoing epidemics of COVID is just the first in the series. There were other epidemics, there will be other epidemics, there will be other problems, and so on. I don't think that global capitalism, the way it is functioning today, can is strong enough in its mechanisms to enable us to cope with this Problems. I think we need at three levels something stronger. First, at the local level, you know, which are wonderful moments that I observed. How from different, I mentioned this in my book, in different parts of the world, like in Spain, I was told, in Madrid and Barcelona, people locally in blocks organize. And try to identify who are the poor old people who live alone. No, it reminds me, but not in a brutal uh, uh, Cuban way of what they call the Committees of the Revolution. You know, in every block, a group which controls the population. But here, it's not done in that way. It's simply done to take care of those who are otherwise neglected. So we need local coordination. You know, which is. Most beautiful story here. I was told by a friend from Rio de Janeiro that the gangs who are usually fighting in favelas there uh, concluded immediately truth and organized themselves to help the poor and destitute in the favelas and so on. Second thing, the state. Again, the state has to take it over. And they are doing it. Even Trump will be forced to evoke how it is called that act from the 50s Cold War, that the president can direct industry what to produce and all that stuff. The state will have to intervene here. Now, I'm here very satisfied to give an ironic answer to people who tell me, oh, you are old no communist and you want to use this moment to propagate. No, sorry, but what Trump did with distributing trillions of dollars. Okay, we can be very critical of how he did it how many of this money really went to the people, how much of this money went more to help uh, big companies and so on. But are we aware that this type of distribution of enormous amounts of money is no longer something that fits the capitalist model? The logic was simply, millions of new unemployed could be starving. It's the duty of the state to enable them a minimally decent life. That's no longer capitalist logic. That's logic of some kind of a caretaker state, responsibility to, and so on, and so on. So wouldn't you agree in in this definition of communism, uh, which is, again, a provocative word, I know. The old Marx, in one of his texts, uh, says that in communism the formula, the principle of social life will be to everyone according to his needs, or her, of course, of their needs, from everyone according to his, her, their abilities. Isn't it this what we are, even people like Trump, Boris Johnson, what we are doing now? You don't ask yourself, are you a productive member of society? If by productive, we mean profitable and so on. We simply know people should not starve. It has nothing to do with economic logic. It has to be done. And on the other hand, I think, and it should be done in a transparent, democratic way, but the state also, maybe, we don't know how things will develop, should have the right to maybe mobilize people for certain tasks. For example, again, harvesting. I've written about it in France. Usually, now it's spring harvest. Usually they rely on hundreds of thousands of seasonal workers from Spain, Portugal, and so on. Borders are closed now. They cannot come. Even in England, which is certainly not a communist party, I read that they did something simple and efficient. You know, all those waiters, waitresses, flight attendants, and so on, they are employing them harvesting now. So when I say from everybody according to his abilities to everybody according to his needs. I don't mean it in the sense of Marx. Oh, we will all have a comfortable life and pursue our creative job. No, it's more a modest, wartime communist. We should mobilize our public authorities to enable some, to everybody, some health and some minimal decent life. It's very modest, but so people don't starve they are taken care of, and on the other hand, public authorities have the right to demand in a very, as much, as limited as possible, of course, certain public services. Now when people tell me this is utopia, no, people know very well. That's why even in England, when authorities ask for volunteers for public works, half a million people, young, healthy people, offer themselves, because... You know we are in a unique situation where it's in our egotist interest that these things should be done. That's the miracle.
1: That that's the pandemic. Like a different situation for us to do this. But let me, let me ask you this.
0: Uh, no, sorry, sorry. Just to say and then immediately I give you the part. sorry. Yeah, during the pandemic, but uh, I think and I hope, pray to God that I'm wrong. But I think some kind of a crisis will last. There will not be full return to normal. I, you think it will simply return to normal? I'm not saying it will be hell like this all the time. But there will always be fear, this combined yeah, with fear, other yeah. other. But, but
1: so fear's we Fear is also, also going to be controlled by the... Let, let me ask you this. Yeah. What is your uh,
0: basic definition of capitalism, socialism, communism? Socialism is meaningless for me. I don't like the word because uh, everybody likes to be socialist today in a vague sense. Yeah, we, uh, 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 society should take care for everybody. I mean by communism, not nothing totalitarian and so on, not central committee rules or whatever, but simply such a reorganization of economy which consciously violates market principles that the motive of production is no longer profit, we should, for example, now when Trump is talking about getting out of the lockdown and start moving the economy. But my idea is, of course, we cannot sit all the time in a lockdown. But here already I have a first problem. I've written about it. Uh, For some of us to be safely in lockdown, quite many things have to go on, we discovered this. Healthcare, food distribution, and so on and so on. But more important, we should, violating market principles, prioritize things on which our survival as a normal civilized society depends. It's what I say healthcare. Forget about our hospitals pro- uh, profitable and so on and so on. We need an immensely stronger healthcare system. We need to guarantee food distribution and so on. And just talking about this, I'm not saying states should own everything and so on. No. Just it has to be somehow coordinated. Socially coordinated. Then you don't believe.
1: Communism. Then, but, but then that you're not talking about the communism that Marx and Engels are talking about in the communist... They were very
0: ambiguous, Marx and Engels. They were very ambiguous. Marx was fanatically insecure and never provided definitive formulas, you know. His only moment of enthusiasm was the Paris Commune. But the Paris Commune was really more an anarchist thing, local communities, and so on, and so on, and so on. No, but that's my irony. When you ask me about communism, I will tell you what the states are doing today. These are already elements of what I call communism. We don't have time for respirators, for masks, to play all the market game. This simply has to be done. It's a matter of survival. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, but that's about.
1: two different things. So, so let me ask you this. I want to be specific with you here because yes, please. the premise, the foundation of communism in the book Communist Manifesto, the 10 points, you know the 10 points. I'll go through them. I just don't think you agree with all these 10 points. No. Number one is abolition of uh, property and land and application uh, uh, of all rents and land to public purposes. A heavy progressive and graduated income tax, which I think you probably agree with. Abolition of all rights of inheritance. So inheritance, you don't get any of it. Confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. Equal liability of all to labor and establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. The gradual abolition of distinction between town and country. Free education for all children in public schools. Eliminating child labor, which you probably agree with. Centralization of credit in the hands of the state. The state would control communication and transportation. The state factories and instruments of production would cultivate wasteland and improve the soil. Which of
0: those 10 do you disagree with? Uh, First, I will tell you surprisingly with which I uh, a little bit agree. All good ecologists admit that one of the reasons of our uh, ecological predicament is this uh, imbalance between city and countryside. When societies were organized in a more provincial way, all uh, the sewage, waste, and so on, all the minerals were basically returned to land. Now, products go from land, agricultural products, to the city, so we have to fertilize land and on the other hand, we have all the sewage, garbage, and so on. So I don't think this is even specifically Communists demand this last one. about. But again, uh, don't focus too much on Communist Manifesto. It was never my favorite text. I define capitalism simply as a system of production where, and it was up to a point very successful, where the idea is that it will be most productive for society, most efficient to satisfy society's needs if the motive is profit, self-valuation, circulation of capital, expansion, and so on, and so on. I think we are now in a situation where we cannot rely on that. And I think it's not just a permanent, sorry, uh, 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 a short-time crisis, like they say, but it was similar in World War II, Roosevelt has to order production of aircraft, tanks, whatever, I think this situation will last. And I think that's my secret hope. This does not mean, okay, we will all become China. It can be done in a more open, flexible way than the Chinese are doing. But I, I,
1: I just don't Chinese. hear you being a communist. You don't sound... Because, so I grew ah, up... you so know where i Let me show you this painting behind me. Do you see this painting behind me? You know, that Yeah,
0: uh, uh, Lee, uh, it's Einstein, uh, it's Kennedy, I think, then it's Lincoln, then it's Martin Luther King on the other side, yes. Then you have, in the middle, they have two books. They have Communist
1: Manifesto, and yeah. they have Atlas Shrugged, and they're debating these two philosophies, these two books. Okay, they're talking about forms of economy. Can I tell you
0: something that will surprise our listeners? Please. Do you know that Ayn Rand is a very interesting author for me? I don't despise her. I... Published a text in how do you call Journal of Objectivism or Samaran Studies and so on. You know where she is right? When she says and Soviet Union the history of Soviet Union confirms this, that there is this democratic aspect in money. You pay me, which means we are on equal level, that money means we don't need direct violence constraint in social relations, and she warns, in the she warns that if you abolish money, the danger is not that you will have, like people imagine communism, you know, kind of a society of influence, but that direct domination will, will return. There will be a much more brutal power functioning, and so on, because, again, money will not decide, so immediate relations of domination, power will have to decide who gets what. And isn't this the lesson of Soviet Union? Okay, they didn't abolish money, but money didn't function in the standard way. The result was a brutal return of social relations of domination. Not only this, even the social consequences, even the ecological consequences were much worse. With all the critique of capitalism, how because you care only for profit, you ignore ecological consequences. Well, if anything, in classical communism, ecological situation was much worse because you didn't have free control, free press, all the data were. I know this. I'm following it. That's the irony of today's China. At least till this crisis, it was like these friends were telling me the really dangerous thing was not to be for. Uh, more rule of law in the Western sense of freedom of capitalism. The two really dangerous things to do in China were a) draw attention to ecological problems, try to write something about the problems they have with that gigantic Three Gorges Dam and the lakes there. That's the irony. Organizing workers. Some of my friends, Marxists, there got in contact with. Workers in some factories around Beijing and saw their poisoned illnesses, workers are dying, they were immediately arrested. What I mean is that, and it's immensely productive, this capitalist machinery. I claim we cannot afford it. I'm not saying we totally abolish it. I think we need in the long term some kind of socially controlled influence. Like, how will you decide today? about producing respirators, healthcare, and so on, and so on. You cannot leave it to the market. Would you consider yourself a <laughs> communist today? Yes, but that's my irony. Communist in the sense in which I see elements of communism in what today governments are forced to do. You mentioned uh, from that list in Communist Manifesto, you mentioned nationalization of transport. Boris Johnson temporarily nationalized the British Airways. <laughs> Things have to be done in this in this way. But this, again, I return to my basic point. I think that from the standpoint of capitalist logic, giving people to people trillions and so on, is, it doesn't work. This money
1: will never be returned, and See, so on. Here's what I think about you, though. I don't think you're a communist because, you, because I think you need to create a new philosophy called Zizekism, not communism. Because if, if the founder of communism is Karl Marx in 1840, whatever the timeline is, yeah, yeah, 1840, if he's the founder of it and he pretty much believes the government controls, and the people, you know, follow the rules of the government and taxes is pretty much hundred percent you're not able to go out and create jobs That's what the uh, person thinks about my family. My mother said they're communists. They're from Baku and uh, They they shifted as they age about getting away from communism. My dad's family's imperialism I just don't think you're a communist because in the sense of communism Communism the way it's ran when it comes down to taxes control like you talk about yeah. China in your book and you uh, uh, highlight China being a great success story. You said this. These are your words. That's That's a point. Don't exaggerate Don't yeah. exaggerate it. Yeah.
0: I know, but it's a success story. But at the same it's time... It's a unique combination of authoritarian communism with brutal, brutal capitalism.
1: Sure, but, but is it fair to say that a true communistic nation requires force for it to work? You can't give choices to people. Because if you have choices, it cannot exist. It's got to be force and control for the philosophy of communism to exist. Wouldn't you agree?
0: I doubt if you find this really in Marx. I'm not trying to save Marx. I'm not a naive guy. You know, many Marxist friends of mine try to define the moment when things went wrong. For Trotsky, Lenin is still good. It's with Stalin that things went wrong. For others, it's Lenin. For some, it's already Marx. No, I think in some sense, even if Marx didn't want, didn't have in his head the Soviet model, but nonetheless, his philosophy, theory, grounded the Soviet model. I think that that type of communism is over. This is what the end of the Cold War meant. The 20th century is over. That type of communism, I don't believe it can be solved. I will even tell you a a nice joke. I hope our viewers will appreciate it. Uh, You know when Fidel Castro died? It's a very nasty, tasteless joke that I used. I defined it. I remember when I visited Cuba once, 20 years ago, incidentally, purely a private visit. I encountered on the street a guy who was pro-Castro. And he proudly showed me this a baldon building in ruin, and says, you see, he didn't cover up the misery, but he says, you see, this is our greatness. Even if we suffer poverty, we don't betray our idea. We are faithful. The very misery proves that we are principled. And I told the guy, it didn't end well, ah, no wonder that Your leader is called Fidel Castro. Fidelity to castration. You are castrated in total poverty, but you remain faithful to me. You are trying to sell your misery itself as a success. And even, I must say, you know who were for me good guys of even radical leftists in power, so that you will not suspect. From the very beginning, I had doubts about Hugo Chavez. Yes, Americans plotted against him, all that, blah, blah. It's all true. And this is a much more interesting story about uh, Venezuela. Chavez, my definition of Chavez is he was Fidel Castro with too much money. Why? It all fell apart after when there was no longer money. Why? It's, I know because I knew people who were close to him. He desperately tried to invent an alternate model. Uh, State run companies, giving companies to workers themselves to manage it, and it didn't work. They did not really succeed in inventing a new principle of social economic organization. You know, so my models, we know which was a success story. Here I beg to differ from the predominant liberal version. I had good connections there. I knew Linera, Morales, vice president. They were not doing such a bad, Linera and Morales. You know, economy was doing quite well and so on and so on. But they did it in a very careful way. They did not alienate brutally the capital. They knew how to play the game. Would you agree with me here? I despise radical leftists who are fascinated by this idea of, you know, Oh, what an enthusiastic moment. One million people on some square. We were all crying together, you know, on Syntagma Square, Tahrir Square, whatever. No, I'm a strange communist. I'm the communist of a morning after. I say, okay, nice. You have this enthusiastic moment. What interests me is what happens the morning after when this enthusiasm is over and life returns to normal. How will ordinary people feel the change. And many leftists that I know are so fixated on this magic moment, you know. We were there, one million people was united. Tell you another story, I hope, similar. Did you see the movie, or I hope our viewers did, V for Vendetta? Yes. You know what happens at the end of the movie? People win. They break the barrier, they take over the parliament. In one of my previous books, the introduction has the title, V for Vendetta Part 2. And as I put it in my tasteless way, I would sell my mother into slavery to see V for Vendetta Part 2. Okay, people won. What do they do next? How do they reorganize life efficiently and so on? That's the challenge today. I'm here extremely
1: You you think people, uh, uh, free people would go towards Communism more than they would go towards capitalism,
0: it all depends
1: what do you mean by communism? Of course, not the with all the successes let's say of can you can you define communism in one sentence? Can you do it in one sentence?
0: Return to what I already said, where what moves production is not profitability but in some sense social power directly violating the laws of the market, strong influence on, on what should be produced, and so on and so on. It's more an emergency state. And I think we are forced to do this. My point is, we are doing this today. Don't you see? This is what I'm afraid. Go to the United States, or even in Europe, down this opening up of the lockdown, even if there will be more people who die, and so on and so on. I wish all the best to the American people, but I doubt if if it will work. I think that stronger state control is needed, stronger global cooperation is needed. I think that we need a new globalization. You just said you you like the end of
1: V for Vendetta where
0: people are free. No, I don't like them. It's a fake. I would like part two. What happens then, next day? Okay,
1: people are... Are are you saying are you saying free people will break things more than a controlled government will break things? It can also be a catastrophe.
0: It's a great great problem which is not resolved. Don't you again? I ask you, can you even imagine V for Vendetta Part 2? What will they do? Okay, some well, kind we're of living
1: it. Well, we're living it though. I mean, there's many examples of it all over the world. We we are a byproduct of V for Vendetta Part 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Meaning uh, this isn't a first time where uh, people have won and they've just said, look, leave me alone. Let me build my life. If I want to be a millionaire, let me be. If I want to be broke and just live a small life and go fishing every day and I just want to make enough money to buy food, let me do it. If I want to be a Christian, leave me alone. If I, I, think, be a- I don't have any problems with this.
0: I don't have any problems but,
1: with communism this. Communism is about
0: force. Communism is a lot about force. What communism of the 20th century, I, I agree. But, but don't you think that, again, now you are too abstract for me. Let's return to today's situation. Just please try to imagine not a way out in the sense that the virus disappears, but a way out in the sense of some new way of life where we will somehow manage to have a decent life daily life. I'm not talking about big models. Can you imagine it without, again, some kind of social control, not total control? I'm not saying state should determine what clothes you wear, what toothpaste, and so on and so on. I'm saying these basics, healthcare, here, it's much even worse than Bernie Sanders predicted. Now, it's clear that we don't need only... uh, Uh, universal healthcare within state, we need some kind of, not centralized, but globally coordinated healthcare. If you have millions infected in Africa, Europe will not be safe, and so on, and so on. So healthcare, food distribution, and so on. Market can survive, especially for this small... daily things and so on. I don't have any problems with this. Somehow it should be socially regulated. Tell me, okay, what would you have done? Aren't governments now doing this? They tell me, yes, capitalism always does this, but only at the local, only uh, for a limited time, as long as the crisis is over. I think the problem is that this crisis will not be over so soon. It will, in one or another forum, last. So, again, I think some kind of social coordination which still leaves open uh, market forces and so on, just it will have to be coordinated in a different way. But that lies like multiple
1: arguments, Slavoj, because the the argument is you you put yourself as a communist. When somebody says you're a communist, are you offended when somebody says, my next guest is Slavoj Žižek, he's a communist. Are you offended by that?
0: uh, Usually I am, because what they do, like I had that strange exchange, I don't know if you follow it, with Brazilian foreign minister, who reacted to my book and wrote an open le- letter, like I'm using coronavirus to spread another even more dangerous visor, and of course what he did is, communism, then he associated, we you know what communism is from Stalin and so on, no? and this is what I want. My answer is, no, I just am looking at what governments are doing now all around the world. These are, for me, already, in some sense, communist measures. I,
1: I get that, but, but what I'm saying is, are you still comfortable on the bottom right when it says, Slavoj Žižek, uh, uh, for it to say communist,
0: do, do you? I am not comfortable because usually people react to this in two opposite ways. Either they say, oh, deep in his heart, he's still an old Stalinist. No, it's that communism. Or they say, he's just joking. He doesn't mean it seriously. I can see it more being Zizekism.
1: Again, let me let me explain why. Because I I know, I, I studied this. Uh, uh, I'm in the world. I was in the world where my mother's side, everybody was. So everything for us was studying this world and understanding this world. You don't sound like a communist
0: at all. You don't sound like a... I don't migrant. care. I, yeah. I, all I care is that the things that I see that urgently has to be done will be done. Global health care, uh, coordination of food distribution and so on. I think there will be tremendous challenges with global warming and so on. One, For example, my favorite example, maybe you know it. My good friend, Jean-Pierre Dupuy, an excellent French theorist of catastrophes, was in Japan, in Fukushima, as member of a European delegation, two, three days after the catastrophe. And they told me, you know that for a couple of hours, the Japanese government thought that they will have to evacuate the entire Tokyo area. Then they decided not to. But there will be more situations like this. And... If you look at it with some kind of abstract rationality, it would be easy even to solve this problem, to make a special deal with Russia. He gives to tens of millions of Japanese, part of Siberia, whatever, I don't know. We will need, with geological weather changes that are coming, we will need to do things. I don't know what. There will be catastrophes. We have to get ready.
1: But, that's, but that to me is not communism, that
0: just means... Okay, 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 I'm not... Uh, you know why I use the word communism, I'll also tell you? To signal that I'm nonetheless talking about a real change. And my problem with China is precisely that they are... Okay, it's too cheap to say. I don't believe in some authentic communism and they are not. They are basically combining... It's not even communism capitalism with a strong authoritarian state. It's as simple as that. And I don't see even anything
1: specifically communist in what they are doing. You don't see in what they're doing? Controlling the no free press, no free uh, 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 speech, you can't say anything about the regime? You, you, that's, that's not a form you of... Know, why should
0: do, wait a minute. Why should this be communism. This is not exclusive of communism. You have other forms of authoritarian government, and so on, and so on. The state
1: would control communication and transportation. That's from Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. The state... Okay, 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 but let
0: me me ask you another thing in China. Let me give you another proof. As every communist country, they have a sacred book, a history of Chinese Communist Party, that everybody has to read. You know what happened some 10 years ago? When this free trade union movement started in China, a chapter disappeared from that. A Chinese friend showed it to me. A chapter which describes part of the history of Communist Party of China, which was quite honorable in the late 20s when there was fast economic development, at least before Japanese invasion in the area of Shanghai and so on. Communists did a pretty good job organizing workers for their rights and so on and so on. That chapter disappeared. You know why? Because that's the worst thing you can do today in China, (laughs) to organize autonomously workers. Isn't the basic idea of communism workers should organize themselves. Where do you have even a minimal element of this in time? No, but here I also, at another level, sorry, I don't know, let me finish, then you will be surprised. Uh, At another level, I'm not a communist, Uh, uh, in the usual sense. This sounds horrible for an orthodox Marxist. I like a certain form of alienation. Can you imagine a greater hell than this, uh, now today that Classical social democracy is out of fashion, traditional communism is out. What remains with some leftists are these ideas of local self-management, organic communities. People organize locally their life and so on and so on. This would be hell to live in a place like this. What well, Every afternoon I have to have a collective debate, how we organize school, food distribution, whatever. I like alienation. I would like, I like to have a certain invisible public authority which takes care of things electricity, water, health, so that I can do and you can do if you want we can do our stupid things, you know, read books or whatever. I think that this uh, idea of totally transparent society where we local communities run our own affairs is the last Point of usual leftist utopia, which have to be dropped. So no, I'm not the usual communist. I will not be I, I just don't think you're a communist. I just
1: don't think you're a communist. That's the only thing I think because. Then it doesn't matter. Just yeah. let's
0: do things. I still what I still insist is on the list of the things that are necessary. So let me ask the you a question: what do you, what do you think about? What do you think
1: about? Uh, are you a sports guy? Do you like sports? Do I look like one?
0: But I always I always use this you know, I have a metaphysical problem here. It may amuse you. We Slovenes okay, before the global warming, we were doing a lot of skiing, you know. And I have a metaphysical problem with skiing. Why you climb a mountain and then you slide down. What is the point? Stay down and read a good book, you know? <laughs> For example, soccer. European football, so yeah. I know I'm missing something, but I'm not interested in it. Look, what, why should I care if one vulgar idiot kicks a ball better than another one? It doesn't me. I'm very conservative. I like classical music. I like classical literature. Even in art, I like classical Hollywood. You know who are me, the great guys? Ernst Lubitsch, for example. With French, we wrote a book on Ernst Lubitsch. Did you see to be or not to be? Isn't this one of the greatest movies? Can you think ideal? Ernst Lubitsch, uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, we did books on him and so on and so on. I think I was always defending Hollywood. You know, I hate those lefties, Hollywood personalized and then, please spare me. There are so many well-meant movies from third world which are very progressive and so on, but simply boring. Hollywood knows its job. It's a miracle. I wonder just how will Hollywood reinvent itself now? Don't you think there is a problem here? There's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what you know, will they do? How will fiction? How will fiction
1: be reinvented? Well, like, the, the challenge they're facing is a beautiful thing called competition. That's a beautiful thing. Did you watch Ricky Gervais's message at was it ESPYS or Oscars? Which one was it when? Uh, did you watch him give the Ricky Gervais? The comedian gave the talk at Golden Globes that went viral and got. No, no, fired. but I know him. I know
0: him. Yes,
1: okay. I. So I'll, I'll send you the link afterwards for you to watch. One of the things he talked about: the reason why Hollywood is not happy right now is because there is competition, and competition is Netflix. Now, Hollywood used to be able to control that you could only there was only one way to get on TV and the big screen. There's so many ways today they don't like that. That is something communism doesn't like. Communism doesn't like competition.
0: No, I can't. This is part of my notion of communism, my God. Netflix, it's a very ambiguous thing. I'm not opposed to Netflix. I didn't like especially the movie, how was it called, with Robert De Niro about I mean, the murder of I mean, Jimmy Coffa, yeah. Irishman. Yes. Did you notice something very strange about that movie? The costs were immense, two hundred millions, even more. There was no box office received or whatever they did it in a very strange way which in some sense no longer follows the commercial rules and so on that's the point
1: that's competition that's that's they're going a different direction
0: yeah but it's not a commercial profit competition in my communism there is all the place for this type of competition that's why netflix is doing a lot of garbage but also A lot of very good things. That's the big story of even HBO, quality TV, HBO, Netflix, and so on and so on. I think, I hope that Disney will lose and these guys, Netflix and HBO will win. So now, you
1: you sound more socialist now. Now you're officially a socialist. You're not a communist. I
0: don't care what you call it. I'm not a dogmatic here. I mean, I criticize Marx very much when it's needed and so on. My point is only, again, I will share Marx's admiration of capitalism, you know. Marx Marx said two things which are true today. Yes, we have to move over from capitalism that we know it, but only through capitalism. There is freedom only if you pass through capitalism. Marx was always opposed to all returns to some ancient, more organic community, authority, and so on and so on. And this is why Marx's relationship to capitalism is deeply a love-hate relationship. He was fascinated by it. It has its destructive potentials, but at the same time, Marx was well aware of this. All our notions of personal freedom and so on emerged as part of the capitalist universe. Marx is not criticizing capitalism from some original, full human right position, but the idea is that capitalism doesn't meet what doesn't fulfill its own promises. It's still an imminent critique of Marx. That's why Marx would have been horrified by this idea of some Latino American leftists looking for some ancient Aztec, uh, Sendero Luminoso, you must know we're doing this, some Aztec or uh, or Inca uh, community, that should be our model. No, we have to go through capitalist modernity. Yeah, I, I, I think
1: the, the capitalism doesn't work when uh, the capitalists uh, start buying politicians and lobbying, and then it becomes crony capitalism. Then the government and the uh, capitalists team up. That's definitely not the capitalism I'm talking about because that's that, 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 that is what you call the highest level of monopoly when a company can buy votes and a company can buy politicians, that's when capitalism breaks down. So, no, but more you know I you agree, want to but, me More here,
0: don't think only at the level of personal corruption. It's more intricate how systems are combined. Now, now we know that's what I learned from Julian Assange how Google is connected with NSA and so on and so on. You know, the links are deeper, are institutional. It's not just, you know, one. Uh, one rich capitalist, whatever, is directly buying. And so, but what nonetheless fascinates me is how they, some progressive, I don't know I call them progressive capitalists, like uh, Bill Gates and so on, I don't totally trust them. But they see this. Warren Buffett, I saw, said a couple of days ago, market is great, but we need a state. Bill Gates said, capitalism is great, but... There are things which shouldn't be left to capitalist game and so on and so on. That's what I'm saying. And again, it can be done, not in the same way as it was done in Sweden and the golden era of social democracy, but that's the only, that's the only direction that I see. Uh, the, the, do you think those guys, even the Buffets
1: and the Gates, uh, in order for them to protect their wealth, they have to also make sure they give respect to the state or else? <laughs> The state can make their life a living hell, so they have to make sure publicly they, they kind of say, hey, state, please don't bother me. I, I do think that's a very power play that they're yes. making as well. Of there course. are people. Of course. But still, about
0: that. but still, I don't care what dirty private motives they have, but their message is important, which is, again, market cannot do all the job in Critical moments, which now are not just a year or two, for decades, state, or maybe we will have to, I don't know, invent some other forms of social coordination, will have to play a much stronger role. Well, one of the things that I was, uh, uh, my kids were offended by your
1: book. i want to tell you, it was very offensive, a, a part of your book. I have my, 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 my eight-year-old, my six-year-old. I read them a part of the book. They were furious with you. I think it's very, Which one? Which I'm going to read it to you. It's very offensive. They were upset and they said, dad, please uh, bring this up to them. There's a part in your book where you say Amusem- am- amusement parks are turning into ghost towns. Perfect. I cannot imagine a more boring and stupid place than Disneyland. What do you have against Disneyland?
0: Ah, here I have a precise answer. I was not bluffing. I love good amusement parks. But I was, 10 years ago, for a week, Orlando, Florida. It was boring. Everything was totally predictable. No, I was specific against Disneyland. Where are you in Orlando? Okay. Many times. Yeah. Universal Studios was much more, not much better, but was much more interesting for me and so on. I'm with you. Uh, I'm more Universal Studios than Disneyland. Yeah, I will put it like this. Now I will play your game. In Disneyland, there is simply not enough competition. You have their free TV in your room and you get just stupid, uh, uh, not even the best, the best Disney cartoons we know are from the 30s and 40s, the early Donald Duck Mm -hmm. and so on. You don't get that, all is repetitive and so on, so obviously artificial and so on and so on. So this is not against amusement parks, it's just Disneyland is, I don't get it. Why? Even, you know, did you visit uh, Euro, the one near Paris? No. How is it called, Euro? There is a Disneyland in the suburbs of Paris. Oh yes, but I haven't been to it, yes. That one is a little bit better. So, now, no, no, no. Do you have a
1: personal issue with Mickey Mouse? Like, is there a personal uh, vendetta or challenge you
0: have with them or no? Okay. As all intellectual friends of mine, I, of course, prefer, uh, prefer Donald Duck because he's nervous, hysterical, like me and so on, you know. But, no, again, it's what you mentioned, this monopolization, which makes it boring, you know. Something doesn't fit, and maybe there must be, an, I don't know, other types of, of... But that's that one. So tell your son, don't go to Disneyland, my God. Go to go to Universal. Go to other parks and so on. So here's you know? what you need to know about us. By the way, Disneyland
1: wasn't made for me and you. Just so you know, Disneyland's made for, you know, 5 year old. We're not the market of Disneyland. Myself, my kids we like to go to Universal Studios twice a year. We're not a Disneyland family. We're yeah, yeah. I was giving you a hard time. we yeah. Universal Studios family because you can imagine stuff. It's creative. You know, your brain. Yeah, brave, yeah, brave. yeah. And I love that. My kid's kind of like, oh my gosh, did you see that? That's crazy. So I, I can, you know what? You seem like the right kind of a person to go to Universal Studios with. I bet somebody's got to follow you with a camera and go to Universal Studios just to but see. But you know, family. a tragedy
0: happened there precisely when I was there 10 years ago. Till that point, there was a Hitchcock pavilion where you could look from the rear window and okay. see the whole garden was recreated. They abolished it for for some stupid pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know which one. This was a tragedy for me. You know? Have you been Obviously, to the one in LA?
1: Have you been to the, the one in LA or no? Universal Studios. Also,
0: in LA. I was no Universal. I was on only with my older son. 20 years ago in Disneyland, uh, L.A.
1: I highly recommend, I highly, when the dust settles, I highly recommend figuring out a way to go there because it's an incredible experience right now. They've done a phenomenal job to it on how it's at. But uh, Slavoj, we're at the end. The last part of the interview, I like to do a speed round. I give you a name or a topic, you give me one word that comes to your mind. I give you a name. Okay. Okay. Okay, Michael
0: Sorkin. He was a personal friend, so I'm sad. And I loved his uh, good friend, so I'm too traumatized to do it. He was a wonderful, eccentric guy. I loved him. Uh, Karl Marx. Uh, Ambiguous. If you ask me at a gunpoint, is Marx my favorite philosopher? I say, no, Hegel. I think we should return from Marx to Hegel. Because Marx still hoped there will be a big event revolution. Hegel's perspective is different. Revolution happened with French terror and so on. And so Hegel is always interested in how even the best ideas, emancipatory and so on, can turn wrong. I think Hegel would been fascinated by how something which was not so bad, I still insist, Bolshevik, popular uprising, revolution. What did we get? Stalinism. And I don't buy these naive stories because Lenin died too early. You know, this Trotsky dream. If Lenin were to survive two years more and made a pact with Trotsky, there would be no Stalinism. Well, maybe, but there is a certain necessity in Stalinism. And we have criti- So this is typical Hegelian theory. Hegel is the greatest pessimist that you can imagine. You bring a wonderful idea, Hegel's reaction is always yes, and I will show you why it has to go wrong. So, so
1: did you ever study the philosophy of cynicism? Like, uh, you know, the, the idea, you know, it's very similar to pessimism, pessimist.
0: Yeah, but, but with cynicism, the reason I'm skeptical towards cynicism is because of my socialist past, communist, whatever you call it, no? Cynicism was nothing subversive. This was part of how the Communist Party elite perceived itself. They didn't really believe it. Privately, they mocked their own ideas and so on and so on communist regime was, maybe in Stalinism you still had some fanatics, but for example, the last two decades of Soviet Union, Brezhnev and so on, it was a pure reign of cynicism. And even today, you know my joke, you must have heard it, which I all the time repeat. This is the greatest cynical joke. Anecdote, I'm sorry, if even some of the uh, li- viewers, listeners now know it, a joke about uh, uh, Niels Bohr, who at the entrance of his uh, 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 dacha wooden house in the suburb of Copenhagen, had a horseshoe. You know, in Europe, this is a superstitious item. If you have a horseshoe over the entrance, evil spirits will not enter the house. And a friend tells him, but you are a scientist. You don't believe in this. Why do you have this debt? You know what? Millsmore answers. I don't believe it, but I was told that even if you don't believe it, it works. <laughs> I have it. This is cynicism. Cynicism, there is nothing subversive in cynicism. We live in cynical era. Next, Ayn Rand, one word. Interesting, ambiguous, every leftist should read her. And I still think that uh, there is a moment which is authentic. Who is the Gary Cooper guy? I refer to the movie in Fountainhead, uh, Howard Roar or who? The architect. Yes. You Remember that at the end, when he gives his speech, Ayn Rand has a wonderful description where he says, even if they hated them, but for a brief moment they all felt free. I would like to live in Howard-Rourke communism. In communism where there is a space for such fully autonomous individuals. So I'm, I, don't think, I don't think Ayn Rand should be simply dismissed as Crazy nuts, right-wing, proto-fascist, and so on and so on. She is a much more ambiguous, interesting person. Trump. Did you see? Did you incidentally read? And to all my viewers, his I think first English novel, *We the Living*. No. It's it's a novel which takes place in Soviet Union in early twenties, where you know who turns it's a uh, beautiful lady torn between an old corrupted nobleman who is a little bit terrorized by communists and a KGB guy who also studies together with her. At the end the guy, the corrupted rich guy simply gets co-opted by the new Bolshevik ruling elite and the honest communist kills himself. He is the honest guy. It's much more ambiguous, very interesting No, she should be taken seriously. Trump. One more I one. made Now I have to admit, you know, when I said better Trump than Clinton, you know, my wager was a very brutal Leninist. With Trump, there will be socialist reaction, Bernie Sanders, and so on. I was maybe right there. But now with coronavirus, no. (laughs) No no Trump. The only thing that gives me some hope is that it seems to me, don't you have this impression, that other people about Trump in administration nonetheless pursue a more rational politics, and I'm not quite sure, but that up to a point, Trump is getting irrelevant, up to a point. Like, I know you have this uh, move uh, against the lockdown and so on and so on, but nonetheless, I think that difficult as as it is for me to say this, but now I would say Biden better than Trump although he's far far from ideal. Far from ideal, but you know, now we don't have time to dream about this. Now, I think, again, our whole way of life is changing. And it's important to have what I call, and I hope you will agree with this, principled pragmatics. People who are principled follow certain ideas, decent life, freedom, at the same time in a very pragmatic sense, like, what can we really do, and so on, and so on. There will be more of this with Biden. But let's hope that he will be able to do what? Friends who are absolutely anti-Ronald Reagan told me that Ronald Reagan had one talent, you have to admit it. He knew how to select the right people to do In Stalinist sense, good Kadrovic, name to nominate the proper people. No? No, who's, and your, who's your favorite U.S. president of all time? Who's your favorite president, favorite? I think that, and it makes me very sad, I think that precisely because he was considered a failure, you know, that it was a great misfortune for Carter that he didn't, wasn't able to do more. Of course, his presidency was a failure, but... Obviously, he was a relatively decent guy. 100%. And 100% so Good guy. Good, 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 guy. good man, okay. good Okay, You can be no. now utter sinning and say that the, what this story proves is that we don't need good guys yes. top of the to tower. Yes. I think don't underestimate him. All those Helsinki agreements and all that stuff. I think that Carter did quite a lot in the long term, to undermine Soviet communism. You know, don't underestimate him there. Sometimes soft anti-communism, you know. You conclude agreement, but they undermine... Don't, don't... Uh, he was not... Pushed over. Carter is a complex guy. Others... Ah! Another surprise. I'm not so much opposed to Richard Nixon. I think he... Uh, some leftists told me, if you measure left, socialist, left with how many, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 for the unemployed students, healthcare, and so on. You know that under Nixon, this healthcare, so things this was the high point. Then already Carter, because of economic crisis, had to reduce them, and so on. And then he concluded peace with uh, uh, China, uh, and so on, and so on. I think Nixon, I never believed that uh, Watergate story, you know. Who honest journalists can overthrow the most powerful person in the world you know. No, Nixon is again a much more ambiguous guy. I mean, I'm not saying he's a sympathetic guy. No, 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 I get it. Believe me, the,
1: the two people you chose were two people I thought you would have chosen. I, I thought. Really?
0: Yeah, I thought you ah, would have Then, chosen. if I may put it like this, but don't take it personally, you are not complete idiot then. But let me tell you something. <laughs> No, in my <laughs> view, there are only two types of people. Complete idiots and not complete idiots. This is I the most it. you can and get. And I'll yeah. take
1: that as a compliment. I'm not a yeah, compliment. Please, yes. Thank you.
0: Right, how about Jesus Christ? My God, crazy. I, 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 I wrote uh, three books celebrating what I call my 8 age Christianity. You know what happens on the cross? I've written uh, books which even found some echo I learned in Vatican. What dies on the cross is not God's representative, it's God himself, you know, crucial moment of Christianity, this is that Eli Eli Lama Sabactani, Father, why have you forsaken me? At that point, as my favorite Catholic theologist Gilbert Kidd Chesterton wrote, at that point, God himself, Christ on the cross, doesn't believe. Becomes a non-believer. So, The way I read it is you have father, you have son. And what comes then? Holy Spirit, which is communist party, which is the group, egalitarian group of believers. That is the message of Christianity. As the great conservative French Catholic writer, Paul Claudel wrote, the secret message of Christianity is not we are helpless without God, but that God is helpless without us. It all depends on us. The the, the the method of Christianity is I give you, I die, and I give you the space of freedom. It's the greatest ethical revolution. I'm an atheist Christian. Uh, Gorbachev. Okay, positive role and so on. But still, something disturbs me like, did he, how could he have been so naive? Did he really believe that that type of reform, perestroika, would work. The system was too clumsy. You couldn't do this with Soviets. That's the deepest message if you read Soviet history. That uh, You know, people usually say everything was planned there, you didn't have any freedom. No, everything was planned at control at a superficial level. One level beneath, it was extremely chaotic, nothing functioned. And that's one reason for open democratic societies that they are usually very well organized, you know. Communism, the problem with communism was not too much party control. was The control was a fake. At a local level, there was corruption. You had to break the rules. And what I don't see, could, cannot understand. Once I almost met him when he no longer was president. I even planned to ask him, Gorbachev, is, did he really believe it, that he will do this perestroika, open system, a little bit, so on and so on? It was to all of us so obvious that it didn't work, that it couldn't work.
1: Interesting. Okay, Uh, Lenin and Stalin, one word for each.
0: What I appreciate in Lenin, he was very ruthless and so on. I admit all that. But his, again, immense pragmatism. How quickly he totally changed his position. He was an opportunist in a good sense, you know. This has to be done, uh, he did it, and so on, and so on. But it is clear that at the end, in the last uh, uh, two years of his life, if you read his last messages dictated, he was, lived a terrifying life. He saw that the game is lost, you know. And you know, his last attempt to overthrow Stalin, and so on, and so on. Concerning Stalin, yes, a nightmare. Catastrophe, whatever you want. But don't dismiss him as an idiot. Oh, I don't it.
1: think anybody does.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had, he uh, uh, for example, you know, he knew how to play the game, you know, which was the crucial year in Soviet history, 23, when Lenin was ill, out, and it was the struggle Trotsky Stalin. And Trotsky approached it in an arrogant way, writing books about literature and so on, trusting his fame. You know what Stalin did in 23? He nominated over 100,000 cadre, people at minor position here and there. And Trotsky even didn't know it, but noticed, The game was lost at the end of 23. The entire party apparatus was controlled by Stalin. If I may conclude another metaphor that I always use from comics. You know that wonderful moment in Tom and Jerry where a cat walks above the precipice, nothing beneath its legs, and only when it looks down and notices there is nothing, it falls down, you know. Mm -hmm. That was Trotsky's position in 24, 25. He thought he didn't notice that he is already walking on empty, empty air. That at any moment he will he will fall down. I don't think Trotskyism was a serious alternative. Maybe what could have provide what could provide a more a little bit softer version would have been a pact between Nikolai Bukharin, who was more pro-market Bolshevik, and Rikov, who was the prime minister. They were both, of course, then liquidated by Stalin. No. If that faction were to win, I'm not saying it would be a flourishing democracy in our sense, but maybe something different. Maybe. I'm very skeptical. Adam Smith. I know it's popular to redeem him today, that he's not today's capitalism another vision, and so on and so on. And I think, yes, there is much more to be found there in Adam Smith. And uh, what people also often forget is that Adam Smith is part of that Scottish ethical thought and so on. He's not just an economist. He's also a theorist of ethics and so on and so on. I don't think that any return to him is productive today in the sense of that we should counter today's vulgar too brutal, monopolizing capitalism with the return to, to Adam Smith. I don't, I don't believe that. Hitler. You know, uh, one thing which fascinates me, we were talked about cynicism. I read, it's a very boring book, I read Mein Kampf. Mm. Because one question only interested me. Did Hitler believe or not in his own theory? It's in his own anti and you know what the conclusion that I came, it's very disturbing came to it's a very disturbing conclusion. At the same time, he did and he didn't. Obviously, he was cheating. He even says directly, repeat a lie often enough, blah 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 blah. But then you can see how he gets caught into his own lie and <laughs> starts to believe it. It's a very interesting formula of how you can know that you are cheating, but nonetheless, believe it. So this is what fascinates me. Otherwise, I think that the really evil guy for me, if you ask me, and you probably know him, you read about him, is Albert Speer, the good guy who apologized. But you know that he is personally responsible for the war dragging so long. One very good decision by Hitler was, was it early, 43 or even a little earlier, when he named Albert Speer armament Minister, and the production went out, skyrocketed. Germany hold, even; they, it produced even more arms till the fall, fall of forty-four. Without Albert Speer, the war would have ended definitely summer forty-four. He is the truly evil guy, evil guy in the sense of millions of people would have uh, died less, would would not have died without Albert Speer. Two more left. Uh, uh, I'll give you the first one and then the last one. Nietzsche. I'm not so fascinated by Nietzsche. I know it's very fashionable to be for him and so on. I I think that uh, even at the level of style, did you read Zarathustra and so on? No. It's something so rhetorically bombastic, pathetic and so on. And also because in opera, I love Richard Wagner and Nietzsche turned ferociously against Wagner, no? So, no, Nietzsche, although I know there are many of my friends who try to do another reading of Nietzsche, but I simply don't relate, relate to Nietzsche. And the last one, Putin. I can see that's the true tragedy of how Yeltsin laid the foundation for Putin. The true catastrophe were the 90s, I think. Total economic fiasco, chaos corruption, and so on and so on. But uh, in the long term, I wonder how Putin will survive his predicament now. You know what is the problem? I don't... Okay, they have oil industry, natural resources, and they have armament industry. And that's basically all they have. They are not as, as genuinely successful as China, economically. So I think that I can well imagine... I cannot imagine China doing better without Deng Xiaoping. He was a genius in some sense. But I can imagine Russia doing better without Putin. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Based on Simply. what premise? Based, based on what premise? I'm not saying some naive liberal democracy and so on, but a more intelligent Chinese style capitalism you're a big china fan it's interesting maybe we can talk no about I'm not that. I'm horrified you know if if for no other reasons for my personal uh, uh, interest they okay they translate my books some of them then they were half prohibited now they're tolerated but basically uh, all the philosophers I met there are basically most of them are very cynical there is no authentic uh, authentic humanist thought, social sciences, and so on. They are very cynical, and so on. It's, uh, they have good movies, good writers, and so on, but not good uh, social theory, and so on. No, no, no. What do you think? You think that, that Russia couldn't have done better without Putin? I, I think uh, for that culture and that
1: community, for him to be able to manage it the way he has, to still keep a form of the capitalism because he's open the market, businesses are doing yeah, good, yeah. people are making money, but he has still kept the loyalty of the communist. I think that's a very complex thing to do. And I think he's In the a- loyalty God. of the big capital. Yeah. Yeah, because because it's very hard to both gain the vote of the capitalists and the communists. That's 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 like that's like being a pastor of a Christian church and going on you know to a Muslim, it's it's very... And he's been able to kind of do that because it's total polar opposite philosophies.
0: That's the part I but, yeah, but the pro, again, the problem is that the way he did it is that I spoke with some people who were close to Putin and then they were disappointed. They say he relies too much on, how is it now called, the new KGB control. And, and this KGB control is very non-productive. Even his own... Uh, Tycoon's billionaires. They don't trust him. You still have this tendency, okay, now it's different. He'll recently move as much money as possible outside. Well, I, I don't think
1: and, and I'm curious to know what you say about this. I don't think any billionaire is gonna trust the president of any country they're a part of, because you know, at that level, you can't fully trust a person with that kind of authority and power. Uh, you know and especially when you have some people on the back end that you talk about in Russia, KGB, and USB and some other people, I I mean, who do you trust? Do you trust anybody 100%? Do you trust any political leaders 100%?
0: Of course not, but with Putin, it's a very rough game. You know what happened to all those billionaires who fell out of favor with him and so on and so on? Oh yeah, I I know that. Yeah, but but that's why I I I said... But I'm not talking as a moralist now. I'm only talking as a... Again, in very pragmatic terms, I think that nonetheless, economy could have been managed in a more efficient way. What my Russian friends are telling me, you know, forget about Moscow, Petersburg, these big cities. Go to the Russian province, to these small anonymous cities of 100,000 people, and there you see it's still the old inertia and so on and so on. Slavoj, I've had such a good
1: time talking to you here today and uh, I think we started off with you being a communist. We went to socialist. I think by the next time you're going to be a capitalist. I mean, this is a very good progress we're making together uh, as, we're, as we're going with these conversations but
0: final okay. words.
1: I'm going to give you the final words. What are your final words before we wrap up this uh, interview?
0: This, that, again, very pathetic one, Simple, that our life are changing. The challenges are immense. And that's why it's important to be aware that it's not just a crisis that will fall, that our future is decided now. Now we are choosing a new world, de facto, if we want it or not. Now it's decided. Will it be trump style of capitalism where it doesn't matter if tens of thousands die? Will it be uh, uh, a new version of China totally controlled? Let's hope that there will be other options, but it's not just a crisis and then things return. Again, a new world is being created now. So be careful. And I will repeat you, trust no one. I think
1: we finish it on that. And uh, with that being said, Slavo, again, thank you so much for your time, uh, for being a guest. And somebody. then if
0: you want, we do another so that we fill in the gaps, no? I look forward to it. I look forward yes. to it. I think that's a good idea. Your guys will inform. We will propose some dates and we do it, no? That sounds good to me.
1: Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick David, and I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.